All right, welcome to the conversation. We've got a great guest for you guys, Matt Ferner. He's a senior analyst at Safer Cities. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Cenk, really happy to be here. No problem. So a lot of people are talking about crime. Certainly Trump ran on it in 2020. Oh My God, Biden's America, we're all gonna melt. So has anarchy broken out? Is we had approximately 98% crime at this point, whatever that means. Um, give right. us the facts. Right, no, no, I'm happy to report we are not. But, but you, Cenk, you're, you're, you're so right. I mean, this is the, this is the fear mongering that has led to the incarceration crisis that we are suffering from in this country and has been here for so long. And that kind of, American carnage sort of rhetoric that Trump was so good at um, uh, deploying and and other you know you know kind of master blowhards uh, like Tucker Carlson who's the subject of our study uh, or his rhetoric and and also uh, Miami Police Chief Art Acevedo um, you know these guys know how to do this I mean they're 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 talented at this and and they use it to to win elections and as you know I mean this has been a a playbook for for decades, um, largely deployed by Republicans to, to win elections, um, you know, for maybe fifty years. Um, but you know, Republicans and Democrats alike um, have a lot of blame uh, uh, in using this kind of language to to, to scare voters and to drive a punitive uh, policy in this country. But thankfully, no, we are not in a, 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 a dystopian hellscape yet. Yeah. So. Um... There's a, a Democrat who was so-called tough on crime that passed one of the worst bills in my lifetime. His name was Joe Biden. So it's it's not like Democrats don't do it. But yes, Republicans have made an art out of scaring white folks about minorities under the guise of crime. So just quick factual check with you. And then I wanna talk about your study on Tucker Carlson. Um, so, did crime go up in 2021? Now that Joe Biden is president, is it murders run amok in New York, for example, in the big blue cities that are the you know they they call them blue now? So like, oh no, we're just criticizing Democrats. Of course, they're talking about cities that have large minority populations. Of course. Okay, so what actually happened with crime? Right, right. I mean, that's that's right, Jenk. I mean. Um, so overall, crime is down, um, but 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 importantly, uh, homicides are up from 2020 uh, year over year, um, and and you, you, there's a lot of you know kind of screaming headlines about this stuff, and 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 it's understandable. I mean, uh, homicides are are tragic uh, in our communities, and 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 attention to them, and and solving those, and trying to find ways to increase solving rates of those uh, for our police departments is is critical. Um, but uh, but. Also, it's important to, to note and to understand um, that, that homicides in particular are, are down overall. I mean, uh, by, by enormous margin, right? Um, and you know this, Cenk, you've talked about this on your show a number of times. But in the 1990s, right, where we see the, the really serious spike in homicides, we, we're, we're nowhere near um, those numbers. So, so uh, while they're, they're in 2020, we, we saw this increase, um, it's nowhere near where it once was. And 
I think um, you know, in our own research, we've, we've looked into you know, at least public attitudes about this. And I, I, I think yeah, there's been some other writing and some other research around this and looking into what may have driven this. And these are complex issues. I mean, crime in, in particular, uh, any kind of crime, uh, violent or so-called nonviolent crime. I mean, what drives them, drives these rates up and down are a number of factors. But I mean, I think it's safe to um, assume and, and to think about a, a historic pandemic, which led to so much social and economic disruption for people to, um, to, to be a, 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 a cause. Um, and yeah. so to see some of this spike in 2020, like, like we saw, I think there's reasonable, um, uh, I think reasonable people can, can agree that, you know, that, that, that may have helped been a very major factor. So, so uh, yeah. that's where, that's the state of yeah, I mean, this is the Kaylee McEnany thing, right? Where the Republicans right, are like, can right. you believe crime went up in 2020? Dude, Trump was president. <laughs> like, right. At what point do you think you're making? But right. in 2021, by the way, crime, overall crime is down 3.3%. Major offenses are down 4.8%. There's some cities with significant homicide issues, but New York is not among them. They usually talk about that in the context of, oh, it's a liberal city and stuff. Homicides down in New York. So, and, and there's of course a lot of factors. We did talk about it on TYT before. I think COVID is driving a lot of it. But so now let's talk about the political aspect of it. What was your study on Tucker Carlson? What did you guys find? Yes. So, you know, our 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 group is very curious about crime and public safety and how the public thinks about it. And so, we we looked and fear mongering in particular around public safety and around you know response or crime control is 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 just has driven so many bad policies for for so many decades, as as you know, Jenkin. You know, so we're always looking at how. How politicians, how the media are 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 talking about these issues, and so we were just curious because of some of the trends you've talked about here already. Um, the, the, there's this historic uh, fear mongering playbook, you know, we know exists and has driven you know a lot of bad policy in this country. Both Democrats and Republicans um, guilty of that. Um, but then there's been some in the last few years uh, uh, some interesting uh, countervailing uh, trends, let's say, uh, that, that made us want to look into this a little bit further. So you know, we see Joe Biden uh, won, for example, right? He defeated Trump. Um, we also see uh, uh, you know um, this failed effort to recall uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom, also also driven in a, by Republicans in a, in a fear mongering kind of way. Um, to make California seem like this sort of um, dystopian uh, hellscape, um, and then and then earlier in the summer we we saw uh, some someone like Melanie Stansbury who won won that uh, suburban house seat. Um, her Republican opponent really tried to make that race into a refer referendum about um, crime rates rising in Albuquerque, but she defeated him um, really uh, resoundingly. So we've seen this interesting trend. So we decided to look into it with our our study. So we ran the, these series of studies. In order to make it as realistic for um, the people that participated in it, we used um, just these master fear mongers uh, like Tucker Carlson, like Art Acevedo to, to build rhetoric um, into the study using their real language. Um, and, and so we, we looked at what they say, we added in some context to, to make the study make sense for people. So. The, the study people would see a, a, a statement from like what was they were, was identified as their police chief or a mayor or a sheriff. Um, but it was using their language um, in the fear mongering context 
um, often by Tucker Carlson or by Art Acevedo. And, and what that would be was like, you know, emphasizing rising crime, emphasizing um, danger, emphasizing, um, you know, a kind of revolving door within our, our uh, criminal justice systems, you know, this baseless kind of uh, language that, that these folks use. And then, and then we present the, the, pan, the respondents with a, a non fear based kind of rhetoric, which was about, um, uh, the same kind of public official responding to a crime in a community, but but um, and with urgency, but not using fear mongering, using accountability language instead. Um, and what we found was um, really interesting, and 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 I think encouraging. Um, I think it's good for our country, uh, at least, uh, to see this. Uh, Power of fearmongering waning a bit with American voters. It's not that it's gone, but it but it's waning. Um, and and what we saw was that respondents really really uh, responded well to the accountability language and and did not respond as powerfully to the fearmongering language as as, as historically it seems they had. Um, of course, this is our first study. We we don't have study or data from from previous years, but. Um, you know, we we all know these trends that we were just talking about, and so to to see that and to to see that that perhaps um, there's a there's a, a voting public out there that that has grown um, tired or or just this sort of fear mongering language no longer impacts them in the same way or doesn't uh, rile them up in the same way um, is is I think uh, great news. So, uh, Matt, I don't know if you have this level of specificity. Specificity right in front of you, but I'd be curious to see the age breakdown in that study. So my guess would be that for the younger people that you talk to, that they would be a lot less susceptible to the fear mongering, and older folks would be more susceptible. Not because of age so much, but because of the culture that those two different demographics grew up in in America. But I don't know, so I so that's why I ask. Yeah, Jim, no, it's a good question. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, I'm sorry. But you're, that's roughly right off of my memory of, of the findings. Um, age did play a factor. And, and unsurprisingly, I mean, uh, you, you, and I think you're, you're sort of touching on this as well. Um, conservative voters were definitely, um, uh, uh, they, they drove the, 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 the feelings, the, 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 when reporting feeling less safe, it was, it was conservative respondents um, more than, than the Democrat, the, the people who are identifying as Democrats than their respondents. So we're, what we're measuring, what we're seeing in our findings is, 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 is largely driven, the, the lack of response is largely driven by a Democratic, Democrat, the Democratic uh, voter demographic and, and less so from the conservative side. So you're very much right, they're, they're these sorts of things yeah, you know, uh, really make a difference. As we're talking it through, Matt, one thing became um, kind of apparent to me that, that I'd always like wondered about the hypocrisy and the, the, the contradiction that's built into conservatives mainly being driven by fear. Like, oh my God, oh, crime, oh, and, you know, all this the different, oh my God, war, people are gonna attack us, terrorists, right? All these things, oh, gay people, oh my God, oh, black people, right? And, uh, but yet they pretend that they want alpha males and like, oh, we're all so tough, you know, we don't, <laughs> not like the liberals, they're soft and stuff. And now I just connected it, of course, because they're, they're, Role playing, like they're so afraid, they're puffing up their chest, in a in a way that's obviously fake, because inside they're super scared, and that's what mainly drives them. So, last question for you, as we're running out of time here, since the data is coming in at, it's not working that well politically, and and 
both in your study and in the real world where a lot of people ran on this and you've got examples of that in, in your work. And not just Joe Biden, but at the local level, very clearly they ran anti-crime, fear-mongering ads and they lost. Is there a chance that Republicans go away from it because it's just not working? Well, I mean, I think that's the great hope, isn't it, Cenk? I mean, you'd love to see a politics that didn't rely on this kind of just toxic rhetoric and thinking because it really drives very dangerous policies that have hollowed out so many communities have hurt millions of Americans. And I can't say our research doesn't doesn't go that deep. It's it's hard to know, but but. The sort of counterpoint, or the 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 point that I think is is what you're making, and I think is right, is that this this is encouraging. I mean, I think an enterprising person who wanted to run for office and not use fear mongering rhetoric, which which in 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 some ways is driven by trend lines, right? I mean, you may or may not believe in this stuff, but the playbook is there, and if you want to win elections, maybe you just rely on the playbook. You know, it's it's like. You don't have to use your. You don't have to go very far in your imagination to try to figure out a way to win. Maybe this research, maybe these trend lines will help people think of a different way to win elections. That there's constituencies out there to build that that don't respond to it anymore. And in fact, they do want accountability. They 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 want to. They want public safety, of course, but they don't want it with the conditions that historically. Uh, these groups of people, these kinds of people like Tucker, like Art Acevedo, like Donald Trump, have used uh, 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 to to drive us against one another and 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 really actually make us less safe. Yeah, and by the way, if you arrest people based on random things like the color of their skin, as opposed to who actually did it, you don't actually have accountability and you don't have justice and you have more crime, not less crime, because you didn't actually catch the guy who who did it because you were arresting randos. Based on characteristics that have nothing to do with who actually did it, so that that's also coming in. All right, we are out of time. The study is called "Likely Voters Grow Weary of Fearmongering Around Crime." It's from Safer Cities. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jenk. Really appreciate it. All right, back on the conversation. We gave COVID relief a significant amount to individuals, to corporations, but also to states. Because states needed help with their hospitals, with taking care of people. But when you give money to red states, you don't really know how they're gonna spend it. And Alabama's got a doozy for us with what they did with their COVID relief bill. Melody Schreiber from The Guardian joins us to talk about it. Melody, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. No problem. So what did the good folks who lead the Alabama government decide to do with $400 million of the COVID relief bill? On Friday, Alabama Governor Kay Ivey signed into law a bill to use $400 million of their COVID relief funding to build more prisons. They're planning to build three mega prisons to replace facilities that are in disrepair that basically can't be used anymore. And they're putting their COVID relief funding toward that. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong, because you're a reporter. Do Putting more people in prison, is that likely to make them safer from COVID or less safe from COVID? I'm That's a great question. Research has shown that prisons have actually 
driven the spread of COVID. Um, we probably we likely saw millions more cases than we needed to um, because the conditions of a prison are actually perfect for the spread of COVID. Uh, you're close together, you rarely take breaks from each other. Um, there's not a lot of personal protective equipment, there weren't a lot of tests. Um, it's very difficult to isolate um, entire prisons. Um, Humanely, um, and so prisons have really contributed to the spread of COVID, um, and not just in the prisons. It's also in the wider community, and the wider community comes into the prisons. You might think of it as kind of an island, um, but you have people coming in every day who work there. Um, you have people cycling into the system and then leaving, um, and so where there is a lot of spread in a prison, there will be in the community as well, and vice versa. Yeah. Um, so. Look, I'm surprised more people didn't get it because it's an enclosed space with tons of people. With this, what are you going to do? Even if they gave you masks, you're going to wear a mask 24/7. You're going to wear a mask while you're sleeping. Basically, no, almost nobody's going to do that. So that means, especially pre-vaccine, you were condemning one to two percent of everyone in prison to death, and it didn't really matter. Where you were from, what you did. Was it a robbery? Was it jaywalking? Was it smoking pot? It doesn't matter because you had a huge percentage chance of getting COVID, and then you had a couple percentage chance once you got COVID of dying. And so, and, and now, funny enough, Melody, we just did a story about one of the Capitol rioters saying, Well, I'm not vaccinated, because of course she's a right winger. And she said, What are you going to put me in prison? That'll endanger my life. Which, um, I, I, I'll ask it in the form of a question. <laughs> so uh, it feels like a lot of right wingers, and in the context of Alabama, for example, which is deeply red, right, don't think it's going to apply to them. Like they're, oh, we can break the law, we can break into the Capitol, and I mean, we're not going to go to prison. That's that's for minorities, I and mean, we're not going to do that, right? And then it, when they find out, oh no, you could also go to prison, they're like, whoa, wait a minute, we got to clean this place up. You know, it's dangerous. And so, yeah, go ahead. I believe the QAnon shaman also used that argument of the the prison was bad for his health. Yeah. Um, prisons are very bad for your health. Um, long before the COVID pandemic, um, you have really tight quarters. Uh, you don't have excellent medical care. Um, the If you want to improve health, Decarceration is one of the best proven methods for making people healthy. Um, I think in the US, regardless of your political affiliation, many of us know people who have been incarcerated. We have the highest per capita incarceration rate in the world. Uh, almost 2 million Americans are behind bars. Um, this is an American phenomena. Um, and in, in a time like COVID, it is just, basically tinder for a wildfire to have a pandemic in prisons. Yeah, so Ivy said that it was an Alabama solution for an Alabama problem. Well, I don't, I, I honestly have no idea what that means. Is COVID an Alabama problem? Because I thought it was pretty international. And how is prison, is, does, do the good folks in Alabama really believe prison is a solution for COVID? Can you decipher it? Do you have any idea what she's talking about? 
These are all excellent questions, so I'll try to remember all of them. But um, first, I think what um, Governor Ivey is referring to is the lawsuits against the state of Alabama. The Department of Justice has brought lawsuits um, because of the conditions of the prisons, which they say are the worst in the country. Um, they're inhumane. They're I don't <laughs> sorry, I don't know if they're actually if they say they're inhumane, but they're very bad conditions. Um, they both because of prisoner on prisoner violence, but also because of violence from the corrections officers on the inmates. Um, so I think that that is part of the Alabama problem. But Alabama also has some of the worst COVID rates in the country, some of the lowest vaccination rates. They have a huge problem with COVID. Um, their hospitals are at the breaking point, if not already broken. Um, and, and so to see this money go toward incarcerating more people and potentially spreading the disease more when you could invest in health systems, you could invest in social services that help prevent the spread of COVID. Um, it, yeah. Yeah, you know, <laughs> look, first of all, I'll call it inhumane. There's no question those prisons in Alabama are inhumane. And it is an Alabama problem, you're right. That the prison part, not the COVID part, but the prison part is an Alabama problem. Because they abuse the living crap out of their inmates and have them in terrible conditions. And then their Alabama solution is more, do more of that. You know, And so if Alabama's got solutions, they certainly haven't shown them, okay, because they rank near the bottom in almost every category and you're right, also in COVID. So as COVID is an international problem, Alabama has it worse than not only almost any place in the country, but almost anywhere in the world. Their rates are so astronomical because the idiots won't vaccinate themselves. And you'd ask if this will affect COVID. Um, basically, if they actually believe that this is going to, from what I understand, um, they see this as an influx of cash to the state that they can use more or less without any restrictions. Um, it's seen as a way to replace tax revenue. Um, basically, the only thing you can't use this funding for is pensions and um, I think tax cuts. And so they say, well, we lost money during the pandemic. So we're going to use this money that we need to to invest in prisons. And prisons are one of the big employers. They're an enormous source of income. And so I think that they're thinking of this as a, as a money issue, not as a COVID issue at all. Oh, Republicans thinking of it in terms of money instead of protecting people's health. I would have never guessed that. Well, color me shocked. Um, so, uh, and by the way, some red states are using it for tax cuts for the rich, and the Biden administration isn't doing anything about it. God forbid they should ever challenge Republicans. Anyways, uh, but I want to now turn to the irony here, which is that, well, they do need to fix the prisons in Alabama. They are in disastrous shape. So, um, so that could potentially be a good thing, not related to COVID, and they shouldn't use COVID money, but they do need to fix the prisons, right? They need to fix the prisons, but I mean, the reason the state of Alabama is being sued by Department of Justice isn't because of the crummy conditions of the prisons. They they note that the prisons aren't in good shape, but the problem is an endemic culture of violence. You, I mean, building a new prison isn't going to fix culture problems. They need staff training. They need to be working. I mean, there's just an entire revolution that needs to happen in this correction system, according to the Department of Justice. 
Yeah, so that's a great point. I mean, yes, they need a paint job. Yes, it'd be nice to rebuild the infrastructure of those prisons, which I'm sure are falling apart. But that isn't the number one problem. <laughs> the number one problem is a problem they admit to, right, Melody? They, the, the cultural violence. I mean, they talk about it in every story and uh, about uh, the, the the staff abusing the prisoners endlessly. Why couldn't KIV start to fix that now? You don't even necessarily need to spend any money to do that. So high, well, there, you do need to spend a little bit of money, one, to hire more staff, and two, to tell them that the prisoners are not your playthings to abuse because you have psychological problems. I asked about this. I asked about sentencing reform and what could be done that is doesn't involve massive $1.3 billion construction projects. They say that that's a long term issue, that this is a short term fix. Um, building a prison is a short term fix. Um, and that these are long term cultural issues that they're working on. It's hard to say. I, I, I don't know how much has changed. Okay, no, that explains. I'm so glad we had this conversation. Now I get it. I, I was naive for a second. I, for some reason, I wasn't connecting. Now I, I understand what's happening. They're not going to fix the cultural violence. They're going to have same short staffing. They're still going to tell the staff to kick the living crap out of the detainees, no matter what they did. It's so they can funnel money to the contractors building the prisons, who I guarantee you are donors to KIV and Republicans in Alabama. So. I, if I look, I'm not your editor, but I'd look into that next because yeah, I'm going to guarantee you they're Republican donors that are going to get this $400 million. As they say in journalism, follow the money. 100%. You follow the money and you will find Republican donors. This is not to help anybody in Alabama except the wealthy construction guys and the contractors that I'm guaranteeing you has have contributed to the corrupt KIV and every other corrupt Republican in Alabama. All right, uh, that's my opinion. Melody Schreiber's from The Guardian, good piece on it. We appreciate it, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me.